Our guests today are Janae Nakan and Ari Dolgowski, husband and wife and local powerhouse couple. They moved to Lafayette from New York City in 2020 with their son, Noam, to be closer to Janae's family members who live in Eunice. Janae is a brand stylist and content creator with vast experience in bringing brands to life through digital marketing. She's experienced living in a handbag factory in China and was part of the team that built Jessica Simpson's iconic handbag line. Her branding company is named JSQ Creative Agency. Ari is a bioperformance therapist, offering transformative massage sessions with a tailored approach rooted in physical therapy and Eastern medicine. He played pro soccer in Chile, Tel Aviv, and the U.S. I met Ari by chance this summer through the recommendation of a neighbor who heard I was having nagging neck pains. As Ari and I spoke while he fixed my neck, I realized he was married to my friend Janae, and the pieces fell together for me. I love both of them two individuals who offer their beautiful talents to make our world a better place. I'm excited to let them share their stories. Janae and Ari, welcome to Discover Lafayette. Wow, I love hearing my bio and your voice. Yes. It's really nice. <laughs> Absolutely. So what a pleasure. We're here, uh, gosh, December 5th. The year has flown by. And I was not feeling that well before I met Ari. Um, you really work wonders, and I want you to get in your story so I thought while we're here, let's kind of do this in a chronological manner so you can both get your stories in. But Janae, let's start with you. You have Louisiana roots mm-hmm. and got Ari to move back here. <laughs> we'll move here with you in 2020. But tell us about your childhood and growing up in Eunice. Yes. Um, yeah, I I am a, a proud Cajun <laughs> from Eunice, Louisiana with, you know, grandparents from the Mamou and Ville Platte area. Um, but no accent. I well, I I had a pretty amazing English teacher at Eunice High School, Miss Fusilaire, uh, and I, I remember she would actually take ten minutes away from our Shakespearean studies to to work on our accents. And and she even said one day, she she said, if any of you ever plan on getting a job outside of this area, you're going to need to learn how to say a few words correctly. Mm-hmm. And so we started with. Ask, <laughs> you and know, it was and, an axe, right? Yes, they all yes. axe for you. <laughs> I remember, and, and even we were like, "What do you mean we're not saying it right?" And mm-hmm. and but and she was so, right. So yeah, so I think I had some some really mm-hmm. um, instrumental teachers in enunciation. Me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and and then yeah, I I moved away when I was well. First, I moved to New Orleans. I went to Loyola where I studied graphic design, but also I worked as a painter, which is what I oh. really loved. I, I did painting for interiors, and I had a gallery on uh, Magazine Street. Not, I didn't have a gallery, but a gallery that sold my paintings. Yeah. And um, Wow. And I didn't know that. Then, 
I forget. Sometimes I forget too. Um, And and then I, uh, but I I knew that if I, you know, want to be a real deal artist, Mm -hmm. I had to move to New York City. And and so the plan was never to stay for long. I was just going to go, kind of, you know, get it on the resume and come back to New Orleans because I I love Louisiana, I love New Orleans. Uh, And that's when I discovered FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. Again, coming from Eunice, I didn't know there were jobs other than teacher, fireman, nurse, you know, (laughs) things like this. So literally even at, you know, 20 to looking on the website of FIT and finding a degree in handbag design blew me away. Like you, I did had you no, always like purses? Well, you know what? I just liked making things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always liked fashion, but I think even then I didn't even know it was fashion. I just loved the idea of clothing as costume, you know, yeah. clothing as expression. And um, and really it was just about making things for me. Um, and I loved inventing. Like, you know, I loved just being able to have an idea mm-hmm. and then, like, turn it into a real physical product. Yeah. So— The so Fashion just, Institute, though, that's big time, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, and, and it was a really selective mm-hmm. um, selective course that I got into. I mean, we were just 20 people in that course. Did you get a scholarship? I mean, how did you pay for that? No. Well, well, the the Fashion Institute is actually a state school. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So it really it was like, I mean, it was out of state tuition, yeah. but it wasn't insanely expensive. Mm-hmm. Just living in New York. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Living in New York. You know, before moving right before New York, I'm in New Orleans. And I remember my roommate and I had this apartment. That was in total seven hundred dollars a month, and That's this was two thousand three. <laughs> and but it was seven hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, two bedroom. It was even part of a little complex. So we had a pool. We were right behind Audubon, um, Audubon Park. You know, it was nice. And then we moved to New York, and we both decided to move to New York. Actually, my my roommate went to study uh, French literature, and me FIT, and so we go apartment shopping. And the the best thing we could find was fourteen hundred dollar one bedroom apartment, three floor walk up in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> so like bunk beds. So yeah, oh yeah. So we got a bunk bed, uh-huh. and and so all of a sudden, yeah, we're both paying seven hundred dollars a month from our three fifty, you know, luxury apartment. And but I mean, you, you got go to, in and you go you to did New York it. to to have the dream, and yeah. like those are, and I think like those are some of the amazing parts that like that's why you feel like a bona fide New Yorker when you go, and you know you're living in a bunk bed with your 23 year old friend, mm-hmm. you know you already like I already had one college degree under my belt, and all of a sudden yeah I'm sharing a room, yeah, uh, with, really, with my best friend, but you know, yeah, that age, you know like it's any age oh, really yeah. to be I, in New I York. Mean, I've had so many insane, but we don't want this to be all about New York apartments. <laughs> we should so just have you, one you about finished that. at FIT. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I finished at FIT uh, in handbag accessory design mm-hmm. and, yeah, immediately started working in fashion. And my my first job was so incredible. It was with Anthony Luciano, who I stay in touch with to this day. He's one of the most amazing human beings. And, and actually, this was another time that I actually felt 
almost like I was back in Eunice because my first job was at a, a small atelier in the garment district. And, and even then, I mean, like, the, the garment district was starting to dwindle and, you know, it, it wasn't, like, quite the, the thriving, bustling, you know, like, mm-hmm. garment district it had once been. But it still had all the vestiges of these old garment shops, like, still run by first-generation, you know, mm-hmm. immigrants selling threads and scissors and furs. So and, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I worked at Anthony's Atelier, and we made one-of-a-kind handbags oh, that we sold to Bergdorf Goodman and Neiman mm-hmm. Marcus and all the top places at the time, Takashimaya. And um, and and we would also make bags, you know, like Sultan's mm-hmm. Sultan's wives would come in and and want a handbag made, or Meryl Streep would come in before the Oscars to have a bag made to match her dress. Can I ask, like, what one of those handbags would have cost? Oh yeah, I mean, they would start at like fifteen hundred dollars. I mean, I even remember the first time Anthony handed one to me because, of course, at first I was just like very basic. I would basically run errands mm-hmm. for him, you know, run. But it was great because I got used to really understanding all the different supply places and how to buy the supplies. And he knew that I could embroider. And and so he handed me this silk satin, you know, piece of fabric that was going to be turned into one of his handbags. And he said, hey, you know what, how to embroider, right? Can you you know, mm-hmm. make a design and embroider something on this. And I was like, again, girl from Eunice who, <laughs> you know, who thought Banana Republic was high-end shopping. Yeah. and Well, much and, more than Gap. And I was you like, know. yes. <laughs> and I was like, you're going to let me touch this $1,500 <laughs> handbag? Are you sure? So and you did. Yeah. So did you have boyfriends or was Ari still not, you know, Ari still not in the, the oh, picture? Man. Dating in New York really was like sex in the city. I mean, the <laughs> characters that you mm-hmm. met. Also, I didn't know what it was to be ghosted until New York City. And back then they had another word for it. That word wasn't invented. But I was like, what? <laughs> he just dropped off the face of the earth and you could do that in New York City. Like it's right. very easy to like mm-hmm. get lost and never see anyone I thought I had again. read that in another interview you did that <laughs> you probably had enough fun for a lifetime before you were 35. So I'm assuming yes. Ari came along a little bit after this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this time. Uh, at FIT. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Dating. So you ended up—how did you end up in China? Because I said that in the intro. I read that you you actually lived in China. How, how did you go from New York City—Eunice, New York City, then China? <laughs> right. Well, well, China was a, um, a typical part of the life of a, a fashion designer in New York City because right by this point in the, in the cycle of fashion— uh, everything was getting made overseas, mostly in China. So so for all of us that worked at primarily corporate places, like the Liz Claibornes of the world, Kate Spades, these places, um, you know, our design offices would be in New York, but then all the manufacturing was done overseas. So uh, a normal cadence for a fashion designer would be to go to China about four times a year, basically every market, right, um, to to go to the sample room, oversee all the designs mm-hmm. you sent over, and to basically get all the prototypes correct before they came in for market. Uh-huh. So, um, so yeah, at, at one of my jobs, we had this rush project, and so I needed to go to China uh, to oversee it. And I was actually dreading it because many of my very uppity colleagues, um, or not even, I don't know if it's uppity, but high maintenance is probably a better word, high maintenance colleagues, 
loathed going to China. It's just because, so crowded. Huh? Like I've heard it's yeah, just a culture shock. Crowded and and yeah, and and dirty mm-hmm. and you know, there are a lot of customs that are strange for Westerners. Um, the, food, the food, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, they would go with suitcases full of, you know, power bars and their own water and everything. So I was dreading it, so scared. But I got there and had an amazing experience. <laughs> I mean, I loved the food, loved everything. Like, I was just an on. I mean, I think it's because I, I do have a natural wanderlust. Mm-hmm. And, and then, to me, I thought it was incredible that I could combine something like work and travel, right? Because typically you travel to like beautiful places, but you can never stay because there isn't an economy to support, you know, your job. Um, So you Mm -hmm. have to come back home. But in China, I was like, I could stay here. Right. And um, you lived in the factory though? Like you must have gotten hired over there. So so I I became really friendly with the factory owners because we Mm -hmm. would work really closely with them on on the project. And it's also like Chinese custom to to take people out to dinner every single night while you're there. So you have a lot of like time to socialize with them. And yeah, pretty much by the last night, I was telling the factory owner who I'd become close to, her name was Alfie. I was like, you know, I don't want to go back. And then she was making some jokes like, oh, we tell your boss something happened in customs oh, and no. we lost your passport, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sounds great. Kidnapped or something. Uh, so, <laughs> I know my mom's worst nightmare. She was mm-hmm. like, you have to move there. Um, yeah, that's far from Eunice. And so, <laughs> oh my gosh. 15 flights. <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you? I, I want to get this and I want to hear from Ari, but how uh, yeah. old were you when you were in China? I was, I living was 26. There? So yeah. you were still super young. Wow. I know. I know. I didn't, like, it just hit me like a few years ago how young I was when yeah. I moved there. But I, I think I mean, that was good though, to, yeah. to really, you were young, so you didn't worry about it. You didn't worry about anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really didn't. Are y'all close um, in age? I don't know how old. Five-ish years uh-huh. apart. So while she was traveling in China, Ari, tell us about you, young Ari. I had no girlfriends before <laughs> Janae. There was no woman, right? No. Nope. Compared to I played soccer. I was in a band. I was a teacher. <laughs> tell us about that. No. Did was, you grow up in New York? <clears throat> no, I grew up in northern Colorado, uh, but my mom is from Brooklyn, and my dad was a— New York City frequent dweller. He moved around Mm -hmm. after Vietnam. So my parents moved to Colorado, and that's where I was raised. And every summer, or maybe even in the winters as well, I would often go back to visit my grandma, sometimes the whole family, sometimes just me, back when you could put your child as a seven-year-old on a flight and the flight attendant would right. take care of them. And so, yeah, I would and fly no by myself. about yeah, someone no. being kidnapped, you know. No, you could walk your kid right onto the plane. Mm-hmm. So Nobody I, really wanted extra kids. No. Anyway, you know. Who's <laughs> just so much? So uh, I grew up going and spending a lot of time in New York City with mm-hmm. my grandma. But also I, you know, grew up in northern Colorado. So I had those worlds combined. Mm-hmm. And I had an affinity for New York. So after college, I moved to New York because a lot of the soccer teams I was trying out for were in the Northeast. And so I would try out, maybe make a team, and then on the offseason, I would come back to New York City. And mm-hmm. then, you mean Denver? 
No. No. no oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, this is a. Turn my you had off. your turn like about this. China like and it, Hell's Kitchen. Uh, so no. So New York is, was where you wanted. New to be York was, was not Denver. No. <laughs> Who's doing the listening? Uh, so yes. Yeah, so after college, I was in New York City, and that and that was my mm -hmm. base, and I. Made a team in Indianapolis first, and then I made a team in in Chile mm -hmm. or Chile, as we say, and then I made a team in Tel Aviv. So I really only played one season in in each place. Okay, but I kept coming back to New York City. One because, as Janae said earlier, we just you love New York City, yeah. and you feel like no matter what art form you're into, mm -hmm. that's a big place to go and experiment and yeah. express what you have. You were trained to be in education. Were yeah. you, you were a teacher. Yeah. But you, could, you couldn't just teach half a year. No. So how did you make a living I, in between seasons? Uh, yeah, I made un, just barely enough. Mm -hmm. I wasn't one of the multi-billion dollar contracts you see in sports now. I always say I was the worst professional <laughs> soccer player. So if you think the most about, affordable, yeah, yeah. If you think about that statement, my first mm -hmm. check was two hundred dollars oh cash. Oh my gosh! But you and, were a part of a team. But I was I was part of a professional team. I, I had the jersey. My name was on the back, hung in the locker oh, room, cool. and I said, "I'll take it." Mm -hmm. You could have bunked with Jeanette. I could have. Oh, I <laughs> <Yeah>. bunked with <laughs> different styles of Jeanette. Uh -huh. <laughs> Nobody special. <laughs> no, not special enough. But I, you know, whereas she had a small room with a friend, I, you know, I lived with three or four guys from the soccer team. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was just a, a I bet that was fun. fun atmosphere. I bet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So as I realized I'm not probably not gonna be the best soccer player, unfortunately, you know, an athlete has mm -hmm. to realize their strength and weaknesses. I Played on a few amateur teams in New York City where I made lots of friends, and I made a really good friend who was a high school principal. Oh. And at one point, I was really struggling to, you know, get a real job. Mm -hmm. And he offered me a, a, jo a, a job as a PE phys ed That's department. Perfect. Yeah. And benefits, huh? There are benefits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I took that, and mm -hmm. for 10 years, I think it was 10 years and nearly it was 7 to 10. How about that? Is that uh -huh. a good yeah, 1 good. to 20 years? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was a high school phys ed teacher, and I— Oh, my I, gosh. What age? Like, like what, what you, all of them, like 9 through I was 12? 9 through 12. Wow. And I had a couple— Formative years. Formative. So. And I had a couple years also, or a couple semesters, where I was around in two or three different schools because phys ed, uh, I could go at length about how this school works in New York City, but I was in more than one school a year. Mm -hmm. I was in a couple— of, Funny enough, I was in a Chinese school, and man, they were the best. <laughs> I need an adjacent line. line with three kids there and two kids there and one boy on that part of the court, and bang, you had that. And then at the next hour, I was in a different school. Well, well my gosh. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a party. 
in my class just because I had so many students. People would famously ditch into my class. That's how cool of a teacher I was. (laughs) I mean, it was a a riot, so. Well, at some point, though, I I know I read that you studied in Jerusalem, right? And I don't know how to pronounce it, yeshiva? Yeshiva, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, you studied intensely. So yeah. did something trigger you to say, I, I want more than just teaching high school? Is I'm going to that- need my own podcast. <laughs> but I, yeah, yeah. I, during those years, you're in New York City, you experience so many cultures. Mine was Jewish. And I was also a musician and I was playing music and following around rap this one rabbi and i basically was his backing band myself and a few other friends and i was interested in all the places we were going all these wild holidays and all these you know things we were doing and why i was playing all this music and what the music meant and i kept asking him about it what's this song mean and he kept saying you need to go to jerusalem you need to go to israel and i was like i'm not going to that Unfortunately, it's war-torn now, but it was also always war-torn. I'm not going to that mm-hmm. country. That's no way. But you grew up Jewish. Yes, I yeah. did. And, uh, you know, we yes, I grew up Jewish. There's Jewish, though, and then there are people that really follow the traditions. Yes, yeah. We, f- most American Jews, you have a bar mitzvah at 13, and then you take a break till you're 45. <laughs> <laughs> And then you come back to it because all of a sudden you have a kid that Uh you're supposed to be bar mitzvah. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I remember this. (laughs) Uh, So I finally agreed one day, all right, fine, I'll go to Israel. Not thinking that. And, I mean, a week or two later, there was a ticket. Back when you got a ticket, whoops, in the mailbox. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I still have that. And I went and I studied and I traveled and I partied and I learned some of the in-depth corners of, you know, uh, Jewish mysticism mm-hmm. and and just the the cultures that surround it. Did it change your world? Yeah, yeah. Because that country, no matter what religion you are, or what level or what interests you have, will change yeah. your world. Will change your mind and your point of view. And mm-hmm. you you could get upset, you or you could get a lot of empathy for Mm -hmm. the planet. So, yes, I went there and I happened to be on a tour and I was infatuated with how good of a driver the bus driver was, how he could navigate these corners (laughs) and not run over the tomb of Rachel and Adam and Eve and (laughs) and Abraham. And instead of going and praying at another ancient website i was talking with the bus driver and his brother was a player agent for athlete for soccer players I was wondering in how israel soccer, yeah i knew there was this is the intersection of like yeah. the stars <laughs> aligning huh? crazy star so you're a jewish scholar soccer player yeah <laughs> he was leaning we were leaning against the bus mm-hmm. i may or may not have had a little drag of his cigarette <laughs> and all of a sudden he says what do you do and i said you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with life. I, I really love soccer. And he said, hey, my cousin, my brother. And next thing I know, I Tell two, me. three days later, I wasn't, I didn't even have cleats, so- <laughs> shoes, soccer shoes. And I was trying out. Will, you know. Yeah. 
There's no goodwill. Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. Not in between one bus and the other. And I tried out. And? And I made it. I played in the in the in the, on the reserve team. The the league wasn't doing so well, but I still played for three and a half months. Mm-hmm. What an and, adventure! Uh, an adventure. And then I was like, "All right, I've had it with Israel. I want to come home." Much like you didn't hear, but of course, Jeanette at some point was ready to come home from China. Yeah. And so I came home, and I you could both converged yeah. on. Back yeah. to New York City. Yeah, yeah we both yeah. came home around yeah. the same time. It was 2007. Yeah. When around you came back from Israel. Where did you meet? I came back. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, can you talk about Not that? on it. Yes. Not <laughs> <laughs> Who goes first? Not on an app. There was no app. <laughs> well, they weren't that popular. Well, no. There were a couple. Um, there were. Well, there I were wonder if my profiles. What was it? Matchmaker.com. But that was I mean, match he, he was on J-Date. He was, was, he was hardcore J-Date, looking for a nice J- Jewish girl. <laughs> I don't know, can you imagine what he would pose? Soccer player, you know, oh, oh Jewish scholar, well, phys really, ed teacher. The, the Jewish girls were really more interested in his financial portfolio. Oh. <laughs> is what they Which wanted to hear when they went to not, dinner. Yet. That uh, wasn't on the resume. I came back from Israel with a couple shekels. I was living with my grandma. She was amazing. What a catch. No. Yeah. No catch. There was nothing to hook on to. Except for cute. my charm. I mean, you're charming. I'm cute. Right? I'm charming. De Bonnier. That was, there was only two pages in my portfolio. I went on a date once and the girl said, how much do you make? Oh, no. What is your, what's your uh, yeah, portfolio? Did they really ask that? Yeah. Oh and I made a this trapper keeper dating in New York comment. City. Oh, God. And she was <laughs> out of there. She probably got married that afternoon. Excused herself <laughs> into the restroom really, and yeah. Yeah, disappeared. <laughs> married someone from Merrill Lynch. So y'all did, but y'all met. You, you kind of evaded the question. Okay. Did you meet, <laughs> did you meet on the streets? Was it a no, you know? We, so what, what so was it, it was through a mutual friend, but I I think it is a really beautiful story yeah. of this this mutual friend. You were a Catholic girl. I yes. Eunice and. Well, so the thing is, I remember the first time I ever saw Ari's name in writing. I didn't hear it, but it was because I was reading an email while I was sitting at my desk in China and my girlfriend, Melissa, she'd always, like, she was just really good, like, such a good friend of, like, emailing me daily, just, mm-hmm. like, keeping in touch with me. Because, again, that was, like, before social media, before, like, yeah. easy, like, iPhones. Like, I really did still have to wait 12 hours for an email to come back from the other side of the world to, or, you know, for someone to wake up and send an email. And she, um, she was like, oh, we have this new roommate, and his name is Ari, and he's so amazing. He plays the mandolin. I love coming home, and he's sitting on the couch playing the mandolin. And also, he's so clean. He always does his dishes. And oh, she that's just the went, plus. Yes. Yeah. And she went on and on. And, <laughs> and it was just funny. Like, I don't think I can remember any other email she sent me, but mm-hmm. that one just always really stuck with me. And, um, and so, so also when I was like the whole Chinese experience was waning on me yeah. and I was ready to come back to America. And one of them was that like now I was knocking on 28 years old and, and, oh, and it was just impossible to date in China. I mean, my whole like dating career is just like one yeah. sad story after another, <laughs> like from New York and then, um, and then in China impossible because Chinese boys' moms won't let you mm-hmm. date them. Or, 
And and then all the the expat boys were looking to date Chinese girls. So I was just like out of the running. So I told my boss, I was like, you know, it's time for me to go back. I said, it's, and she was a hopeless romantic. So I knew she'd understand. I said, it's time to like, go find a husband. (laughs) And and she was like, I understand you go back. (laughs) So I, so you met through your friend. Well, so yeah, Yeah. I get back and our friend um, was having uh, an engagement party on her, her rooftop in Brooklyn. And so I go to the engagement party and I see Ari and, you know, I, th- I guess when he introduces himself, I'm like, oh, you're yeah, Ari. The one that like, washes I've up heard, after. Yeah, dishes. I've heard your name. But but also he was, he had this look that I wasn't into. And it was this head-to-toe navy blue, you know, track suit with these big, bright white shoes. It was a very, like, European there soccer slim look. slim fit white <laughs> shoes, but they were bright white. And his hair looked kind of frosted, which I now know is just what happens to his hair after the end of the summer because it highlights okay. very easily. Because I'm out clean in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> For grandma. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, this is this Ari, Ari person. Hey, yeah. and, then, and then we kept running into each other because of this mutual mm-hmm. friend. And, and finally, three months later— uh, he, his band was playing at a, a Christmas party, and my friend, the mutual friend, came over that night to watch movies. Like, we were just going to stay in and watch a Netflix DVD. And <laughs> and she said, you know, my friend Ari's band is playing at a party. You want to go? And and because I was on a mission, and I'm very, you know, goal-oriented. Goal you really were looking for a husband? Yeah, and, and yeah. I said— are there going to be some cute boys there? And she said, well, I think his whole soccer team is going to be there. And I said, all right, I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> so so we, we show was up. Was he cuter than you remembered? Well, he was he was very attentive. Huh? The minute I walked in the door, he was, like, taking my coat, fixing me a drink. And I was like, oh, this Ari character just. And playing Christmas <laughs> songs. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and then by the the end of the night, we were the last two standing there, you know, mm-hmm. under the mistletoe. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and, perfect. Oh, and I know what happened. He I went with my friend Melissa, but I didn't quite know my way home because I was kind of new to Brooklyn before I'd lived in Manhattan and I knew that, but Brooklyn was a new animal. And I um I didn't know how to get back to my apartment. And my friend Melissa was ready to leave. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready to leave, but you know, I don't want to stay because yeah. I don't know how to get back. Lost. And Ari was in earshot, and he right he was there. like, Oh, I know where you live. I'll help you get home. <laughs> so I said, Okay, kind. great. Yeah. And I actually lived. He two, did live three down the street. Away, so. mm-hmm. Now, Ari, were you looking for a wife? Or he was looking for a Jewish thing? wife. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, is that the farthest thing. Boys from decide, Oh, I'm going to get married now when they're you know 45. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Right. So I was thirty, whatever, mm-hmm. and yeah, I would I would say yes. I don't know if wife is the right yeah, word, partner. but I was looking for someone to, you know, to be loyal to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when did y'all get married? Is that a oh, tough question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it was taking like a little longer than I wanted. Oh, but here we go. Like I dated four. my husband six years. Yeah, exactly. Six? It was like four six, six years. years. He's a good guy. It was like four years. He didn't want to get married. Oh, well. Oh. well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I had. So ready. 
Who knows what goes on in a man's head? Not much. Not much. Not much thought. I know. Again, like, I'm a planner, and I, I remember I kept having a few conversations with him. Like, look, I mean, like, do you want to go the untraditional route? Or, like, what are we doing here? Because, like, there are things. There are, like, different life milestones I want to accomplish in the next 10 years. So, yeah. you know, how are we going to do this? I was like, do you want to just, like, live on a hippie commune? Or do we want to go and, like, get legally married? Like, mm-hmm. what are we doing? I would think a traditional Jewish boy <laughs> would have to get married, though, Especially yeah. after studying of course. in Jerusalem. So. I mean, you study all those texts and you realize this is meant for two people. Yeah. You can yeah. be single and you can be happy and, mm-hmm. you know, your whole life. But, yeah, looking back on those, it was mm-hmm. always like this person and this person did this together. Right. Well, I um, when I look at you two, I just think two totally separate individuals that mm-hmm. found each other. Mm-hmm. And— you must have been like that when you met and stayed like that. You had your career, Janae, and then you had your career. And we haven't even talked about massage therapy and all, but you both had like separate career tracks, but you were able to find each other. So you were living in New York City, married. You had a small child at the time, and then mm-hmm. COVID hit. But were you active? I know you were still doing your design work. You, you got into graphic design. Yeah. Well, I—, I Worked in fashion for 13 years. And then this sort of like set the stage for us moving, which around 2000, I don't know, when no one was one ish, the grind of New York City started wearing mm. on us. And we, um, we started to think, What's next? You know, and and I mean, mm-hmm. this is kind of the the common conversation for many New Yorkers. Right. Many, you know, few New Yorkers really like live out the rest of their life in in the city. Um. So, so we were like, what's next? And and we did we did think, okay, the total opposite of this place. How about the middle of nowhere? <laughs> and and then I said, oh well. If we're going to live in the middle of nowhere, then I probably need some kind of remote job that I can just do with a, mm-hmm. a computer so we don't have to worry about uh, the right. fact that there's, like, no businesses in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so then I started to transition my work uh, into into digital marketing. At the time, I was just calling it digital marketing because I didn't really know what my niche was. But mm-hmm. I had already um, started blogging, right? I had a fashion blog at the time while I was working in corporate design. And uh, and then as soon as like social media did start like latched on to that and, and then started offering those services to some of my design clients because again, like this was all so brand new to have a blog. Yeah. And I would tell my design clients, you know, it's a good idea for us to add a blog to your website. Oh, you should start social media. So I started adding that to my mm-hmm. services. And uh, yeah, around 2017, I, I decided I'm making a, a switch. I'm, I'm leaving behind like company. my traditional, yeah. yeah, like fashion work and moving into digital marketing. And one thing led to another. Amazingly, people trusted me to do this kind of work. Um, and but but I also learned, you know, right, a big career, you know, a bit of career advice is that 
Really, if you're just a, a good worker and you show up and mm-hmm. you show that you are talented and dependable and, you know, some of these skills, people will hire you for whatever new thing you're doing yeah. because they were, they, they were like, oh, you're, you're talented in this. And they tell and, their friends. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you were doing this. You launched your own business. And then, yeah. Ari, you were at that point, were you a massage therapist? You had studied—I know you studied Eastern medicine techniques, right, with— traditional physical therapy? Yeah, I moved from teaching, you know, via another story, but I became, (laughs) (laughs) of course, another bus driver. And I... Another cigarette. Yeah, another stogie. (laughs) Now there were cloves. We've moved on. (laughs) Everybody's had a clove. So we, I, I became a, I became a, massage therapist within a practice that was a DP, a doctor of physical therapy from a Western tra- uh, philosophy and a, a um, Chinese medical practitioner from the Eastern. And those two opened up a small PT clinic in Manhattan and they needed an assistant. I was the assistant and mm-hmm. I started out as an apprentice and then eventually- They trained you? They- I, I was trained the old school way that uh-huh. anybody from a blacksmith to a you know yeah. to a chef would train. But that's the best way to learn. Yeah, and I learned on the fly, mm-hmm. on the go, and then. But I eventually took lots of, you know, I went back for my massage therapy license so I could actually be paid. <laughs> legal yeah. and paid. Mm-hmm. And yes, and you know, I I went to your traditional Chinese medical. Uh-huh. schools and that's where I we learned. also took a trip to Thailand we took a romantic oh, work business oh. trip to <laughs> Thailand for uh-huh. a month no for, oh yeah yeah a month yeah no it was we 31 days it. I know yeah, 31 <laughs> sorry, I'll just stop. sorry you're not being accurate <laughs> I know hold on let me go back to my notes yeah. I forgot them uh yes we went for a month and I you studied liked it. Yeah, yeah because the two guys I worked with both went to this school, and so I thought, well, I should just go to that school, mm-hmm. even though I'm learning from them. But we both went, and it was a great time. Was it as beautiful as I've heard? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. My uncle was there during the Vietnam War in uh, Papasan. Yeah. But I've, just, I've never been. I heard it it's is, gorgeous. Oh, yeah. It is a gorgeous yeah. place mm-hmm. with beautiful people that are like, they care so much about you. Mm-hmm. And they were, yeah, that was... And hence why it's fun to have a, you know, an approach like Thai massage because, you know, it's not just something I'm going to make money with. It's actually an approach to, you know, loving somebody Mm -hmm. and really helping them Mm -hmm. with what they need help with. And so I got all that knowledge, put it all together in this and have this package. Mm -hmm. Yes, we were together. While I was working and learning, so it was a— That's exciting. Yeah. And having yeah. your child. Like, and know having, him. Yes. yes. Yeah, so, Janae, you've heard me tell this story, but when I met Ari, I, my neighbor had recommended him, and I didn't know that you two were married. But <laughs> I was having—you know, I ran for office this year, and I was just having incredible neck pains. And I look back, and I really think it was two things, stress-related, and I wasn't stretching— yeah. and taking care of myself. And so Ari just kind of yeah. like diagnosed it. And it, it mm-hmm. wasn't what I expected at all. Like, mm-hmm. you you know, I mean, 
you just kind of diagnosed what was going on and really were able to zero in on what I needed. And I felt it was a miracle, but it was your oh, technique. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a miracle. It was, you know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I got to learn a lot of, about what Ari does just because I was with him from the beginning of learning all of this. And, and I found one of the coolest um, parts of the training is that you really learn to listen to the body. And that's what makes their approach so different from so many mm-hmm. other approaches. Like they really just kind of know how to put their hands on someone and just really even feel the difference between like cold spots or warm spots and really like get in tune with the body so that they can then work with mm-hmm. it to bring mm-hmm. it the nourishment and healing, you know, that, yeah. that it needs. Yeah. It's a it's an amazing approach. So I guess we need to get back to your move. So you didn't move to the middle of nowhere. You moved, <laughs> right, right. I mean, it might seem like that compared well, to New York City. The middle of well, somewhere. I, I the middle mean, of somewhere. It's well, like again, a romantic song. It is. Where are we? We don't know. I'm sure it's but a I mean, Conway 2010. You're close to Eunice. <laughs> yes. Close to your dad and, and uh, your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so you moved here well, right during the pandemic. Yeah. Well, well, there were a few things I realized in our, in our quest to move to nowhere. Because, I mean, we did a lot of research, like— you know, way pre-COVID, we we went to many different places and looked at properties and, you know, researched the idea of moving to Utopia, wherever mm-hmm. that was. And, yeah, and, and I realized, oh, wait, we have a child and children need to be social. And, yeah. you know, even though I don't have to drive into work, we have to drive it to school. or So... I realized middle of nowhere wouldn't be as yeah. comfortable as we imagined it to be. And um, yeah, all of a sudden it's COVID in New York City, like one of the worst places, saddest places you can be. And uh, it just surprised me to read about that. I thought with Central Park and all these Everybody walking outside, but you couldn't even get in the elevator. Huh? I mean, yeah. yeah, you were not supposed to even leave the mm-hmm. front door of your apartment, which, right, because most of us live in apartment buildings. And so your front door went into a hallway with, you know, 10 other apartments. And, and yeah, if you were on the 15th floor like us, that meant taking an elevator for the most part. Although many times we just did the stairs. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and with— a five-year-old in a small New York apartment. You needed mm-hmm. to get outdoors. So, and and yeah, and everyone. I mean, already New York is already like a buzzing place, yeah. full of energy of all sorts. But now it's a really intense, nervous, scared energy. Um, and I mean, yeah, there were so many awful things. I mean, also a lot of the population moved out, and and what was left were. Um, mentally unstable people. Oh and so, so I had never really? actually felt unsafe in New York City. Like mm-hmm. I've always felt really safe. But all of a sudden, you know, sometimes just taking a walk to the park to get outdoors, I I was more nervous fun. than I'd ever been. Yeah. yeah. Because, well, because, yeah, you had like maybe those um, people were always there, but you had a million other people to mix it up. Yeah. But well, you always so, had Andrew Cuomo. Keeping it together, oh, huh? Yes. I remember seeing him on TV almost oh, every yeah. day. Oh, my you know, God. I mean, he really charge did. Charge everything. Yeah. He really did keep <laughs> it together, <Andrew>. whatever. <laughs> I'm kind of um, kidding. But anyway, so Louisiana yeah. looked better and better? Yeah. So, I mean, we we literally one day took out Noam's big drawing pad and whiteboarded our options. Yeah. 
And, um, and yeah, Louisiana just really checked off all the boxes. And I, I feel like, especially during COVID, right? Like the, the word of the season was uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I at least had some certainty of what I was going to find here. Right. Um, you know, also right in those, at that time, there was no school in session. So you were at home caring for your kid and right. You couldn't really mix with other people. So I knew I'd have this built in support system mm-hmm. that could help us school Noam and whatever yeah. else came up. Oh, and, and also I remember a, a big decision maker was that they told Ari, if we're going to have to dine al fresco for the foreseeable future and only like visit with friends in open air, then we're moving to a warm climate oh, yeah. where right. we can do this. And this yeah. was perfect. Yeah. Um, right. Had you been to Louisiana before? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we came down once or twice. But a because year, of so. Janae's yes. family, you didn't, you hadn't been here before. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And yeah, and I mean, Ari was pretty nervous about coming here, uh, mainly because of the weather and the mosquitoes. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Ari, it's Ari a valid is a concern. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Ari is an outdoor enthusiast, mm-hmm. loves being outdoors as much as possible, loves exercising outdoors, and so those were two big hindrances to right. his his passions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but I. I do remember us, I don't know if it was a year into moving here, and we were driving. It was just the two of us. Noam was somewhere. And and Ari looked over at me and said, you know, I'm really glad you made me move here. I'm really <laughs> enjoying this. Um, and, yeah, and when Ari said that, because, because of course, it's— there's so much pressure, and I'm sure the story will resonate with all of the wives that have pulled their, you know, there's their husbands back. Us. There is a club, and it's not just men. There's right, there's also yeah. two ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but there's a lot of pressure being in this position and kind of making some other adult make this huge life choice, mm-hmm. and not that you're making it, but you're kind of spearheading yeah. the decision, and. You're hoping everyone's you happy. You're hoping yeah. it works for everyone. So you feel a huge weight of responsibility that mm-hmm. everyone's life thrives in this new place that you yeah. know, you've kind of picked. And when I was listening to you, I think my mind, I apologize for that, had gone yeah. off about the fact that you were moving from New York City to Louisiana, which is mainly Catholic. Oh, yeah. And some Protestant. And so I know that, Janae, you—, you you became a yeah. um, member of the Jewish <laughs> faith, and Ari grew up Jewish yeah. in Louisiana. I don't know if we have less <laughs> people of the Jewish <laughs> faith in There's any state in the country. less than New York. A lot <laughs> less. But, I mean, it in like 1% of our residents maybe are Jewish. I, that I, I don't even think it's— Yeah, like a point, not even that much. It might be down in the points. Really? Yeah. So that had to be a big change, too. Um, yeah, and, and that was— Just culturally. We don't— you know, we just don't have a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, in Jewish faith. Yeah, I mean, our Judaism was a big part of our lives in New York, and, and I mean, the thing is, in New York, it, you don't even have to actively make it a huge part of your mm-hmm. life. It's just kind of there. But I mean, we we really enjoyed it and and embraced, you know, our our Chabad, and uh, you know, even sent Noam to to the Chabad preschool. But um, but yeah, moving here that that was something on our, our checklist, wanting to have some kind of Jewish mm-hmm. community. So thank goodness for Temple Shalom because— hey. yeah. <laughs> Shalom, Shalom, Temple Shalom. Yeah, yeah. We're looking for more members. <laughs> Are you? 
but um, Rabbi Barry Weinstein oh, was yes. one of my good friends. Yeah. I mean, he's still a friend, but he's not he's here so like he was. Cute. I got yeah. to meet him. Yeah, he's a precious. few months ago. Yeah. Uh, so so that you know was was good to have, mm-hmm. and and yeah, and my joke about converting is that it took me coming back to Cajun country to realize I'm a Jew. <laughs> so because oh. I, <laughs> I I held out all these years. I mean, Ari and I had been married. I've already been married for. 10 years by the time I converted, um, you know, I I realized in, in New York and when I got married, I really didn't want to convert to Judaism because, of course, that was the first question everyone would ask. Yeah. Like, so are you converting? And, right, I'm— I'm a feminist, <laughs> and I, um, I, I already was annoyed with the whole fact that women change their name yeah. when they get married, and— um, and then in my situation, I was also expected to change my religion. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I could have done that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I could have. So, I, yeah, I feel I'm really annoyed with that whole double standard that, like, you've—like, identity is so important. I mean, right, if any of us have done therapy, like, mm-hmm. knowing where you come from and who you are and all this, like, identity is so central to, like, mm-hmm. your happiness. And, and so I really didn't like that. So much of my identity was being asked to change. And I don't like being pushed. Like if yeah. people want me to do something, it makes me not want to do yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, if, exactly. if I come up with it on my own, 100%. Just, you know. When she said she was going to do this, I didn't even congratulate her. And I didn't say, <laughs> well, what? are you crazy? I didn't say either. I just backed away and let her do absolutely her own journey. I didn't tell any friends. No I didn't pressure. tell her friends. I didn't tell mm-hmm. any of my friends who asked when we got, well, so new no, is she, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Your soul's going to be lost for 6,000 years if she doesn't. <laughs> 6,000? Oh, yeah. You mean I'm going to, my soul's going to be on a party Is for that in 6, the Bible? 000? That's, I don't know, this is, <laughs> Gosh. my grandma would say a quote called Uga Clert, and mm-hmm. she would say that's made up by right. old men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I never pushed like she's saying, she's a feminist. She didn't want it, anything stripped away from her, and mm-hmm. I backed way out. I didn't buy her anything like, ooh, hint, hint. Yeah. Here's another star, or hey, no more pig. I just let <laughs> no her more do pig. her. No, I'd let her do her own thing. Um, but but yeah, when we <laughs> when we came, <laughs> was there a comment you're laughing? At? Yeah, no more pig. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking bacon's pretty important. Actually, actually, there was a, a pretty fun story of when we were first dating, and I always had like a freezer full of Cajun food, right? Like my parents would stock it full of pork sausage, crawfish etouffee, <laughs> like all the stuff, the boudin. And one day, my my freezer went out, and I'm like, "Oh God, Ari!" Oh, and he's lost. we're still like you know new, and he's still like in the like the the mode of impressing me. And I was like, oh my God, Ari, like I'm going to lose all this stuff. We have to find a freezer. And he was like, okay, I'll put it in my grandma's freezer. And I mean, it was the ultimate testament. Can you bring that over the threshold? Like he, no. no. <laughs> so, so like, first of all, he put it all in his backpack. So now he's carrying a backpack full of like pork sausage and crawfish etouffee and then brought it. Right here on the levee. <laughs> and then brought it to his grandmother's. Um, but, but yeah, those are just some of our yeah. funny yeah. cultural, uh, 
crossovers. But we all married couples have that. Like I know John and I both grew up, I, I grew up Catholic. He was Methodist and I became uh-huh. Methodist for him. But we argued at the beginning about even Christmas. Oh, yeah. I thought you opened up gifts from your family on Christmas Eve and he uh-huh. insisted no one did that. It had to be in the morning. And I just was angry about uh-huh. these little traditional things that I knew I was right. And he knew he was right. So yeah. I don't think it matters even what faith you are. It's just yes. customs, uh, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, even within, like, Judaism, there's yeah, so many I'm sure there's different, different customs. Sure. Uh, um, oh, but but to close out some of the, the Jewish Lafayette story is that when we—I, <laughs> like, held staunch to, like, I am a Cajun Catholic and my last name is Naka, <laughs> and, you know, that's it. And then we, we moved here, and— uh, I realized how important it was for me to continue our Jewish traditions. Mm-hmm. And for and, Noam in particular. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for Noam. And because I had grown mm-hmm. like very connected to the Jewish mm-hmm. traditions and really loved their symbolic nature and kind of what yeah. they just brought to my life. So so now all of a sudden we didn't have like our rabbits in and other people to throw the parties and host the holidays. So like if it was going to happen, I had to do it. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I found myself right that first year and a half just making the challah for Shabbat or throwing, you know, the holiday party. And it was all on me. And and I was like, wow, this is really important to yeah. me. Yeah. And, and yeah, finally the, the moment, that awakening moment was— uh, I am, like I was like, I'm Jewish on the inside, and I just want to be recognized for it on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I got gotcha. you. Well, y'all made the paper this year, <laughs> Advocate, in the fall, right? Can you talk about that, the holiday you were mm-hmm. celebrating? And it was a beautiful article. Yeah, I mean— How did—did you call them, or did they find out? I mean, there's probably yeah, they, a rare celebration, right? Yeah. yeah. They found us through the synagogue. Like, they, they were covering— um, subcultures of Lafayette for the bicentennial. Sub, so. sub, subcultures. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had called the the president of the the synagogue, and then they, uh, you know, interviewed her, but then they also wanted to speak to a family to mm-hmm. get that perspective. And so the president referred us, and, and it was just kismet that— when she called, I said, well, you know, it's Sukkot, and we have a sukkah in the backyard. You could do the interview in the sukkah, you Which know. Which is a that'll... fort, basically a really bougie fort. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have a beautiful house, though, in the backyard. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so they covered it, and I think they they made the story kind of swing to the early, um, some of the successful Jewish, um, yeah. you know, store owners and people that really built Lafayette, downtown Lafayette. Um, yeah, it's it wasn't amazing the contribution. Think. It was Jewish, you know, people that came here. Can yeah. I add in, even read the placard going into Borden's. Just read it. <laughs> yeah. Borden's was Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're really not known for our ice cream. Well, but it must be that, um, <laughs> God, but the sauces are so good. It must. <laughs> it must. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but so so here y'all are. I guess I, you know, why I wanted you on the show. Not only do you each bring talent, you bring humor and all, because I, mm-hmm. you're both successful in what you do and very talented. But you could really live anywhere. So you chose mm-hmm. to come here, not knowing if it would work, and you're here now, almost four years later. Yeah, 
and you still could go anywhere. And I'm hoping you want to stay here <laughs> long, long term. Yes. I mean, do you want to go first? I feel like I always go first. <laughs> You're supposed to. I would just say that, yeah, you can, anybody can go anywhere. I mean, it's not that easy, but for me, I was a little apprehensive about moving here and, I realized after being here, it was who I met down here and what circles I got into and how those circles crossed over each other, which was a lot like my life in Colorado and my life in New York City, and that I had many, I just met great people. Mm -hmm. And so that didn't matter where I was, you know, um, in the world, but I was here and I met all these nice people and things started to click. And, you know, I, I thought, well, that's good enough. All right. The mountains and the mosquitoes are a thing that I don't and do have, mm -hmm. but the rest is here. So mm -hmm. I'm happy and comfortable with that. Yeah. Oh, and I, it's kind of funny to note because everyone is like, the food, the food is so great. And that's not a draw for <laughs> you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> neither one of you look like is, you chow down. I mean, you uh, know, one. I mean, I don't. I, I have. I. I just. No, I better not say. No. <laughs> well, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll put say my foot in the, my mouth. The first time Ari ever came to Louisiana, I mean, we you know we flew into New Orleans, so there was that fun, and then I, I brought him straight to Eunice, and and I had already like prepped my whole family, like, look, he he eats kosher, you know, kind of kosher style. That means he doesn't eat shellfish, pork. And they're like, whew, no, that's okay, tough, you yeah. know. <laughs> but, but they were, like, willing to, like, accommodate. And and so so they were making different things. And, and Ari's at my house, and I had to leave. So he's alone with my super Cajun parents. And, <laughs> and my neighbor comes over, and she goes, I heard you don't eat pork or shellfish, so I made you this squirrel. Oh, <laughs> squirrel on rice. Squirrel rice and gravy. <laughs> that is a delicacy, Ari. I know. Well, I thought the spine looked pretty cool. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It really is. I was like, oh. That's... Living off the land. Yes. We had that when I lived out in the country. I feel like it was a New York City girl. We lived out in a place called Hidden Hills, and one day our neighbor— you know, there was a squirrel that had been like electrocuted on the oh, on the gosh. lines, and they invited us over for squirrel <gasps> stew. Oh, <laughs> oh my! And wow. I just almost lost it. I, I just couldn't believe it. I was sad for the squirrel, grateful <laughs> yeah. to be invited for dinner, but I just couldn't see <sighs> eating it. But it was just a cultural. I just wasn't. I yeah. just wasn't used to it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. I just wasn't. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I know, wasn't used sick. to it. Looking yeah. back, I should have tried it. You didn't try it either. I, no. <laughs> The rice might have been pretty good. The gravy. Yeah, exactly. The, the gravy I, is always was, good. But oh, the have visual you ever had that, Jason? Me. I was just going to say, I've had squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think if you live in the country, you kind of have to at some yeah. point. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Squirrel or starve. I, yeah. it, was, it was a squirrel casserole. It tasted like anything else. Okay. Casserole. Yeah. All right. Well, you anyway. know. Yeah. There's always a second. Yeah. Um, so part of this show, though, is about the special people, our rich culture, people that are here. And that's why I wanted you to share your story, because to me, y'all just bring such a sense of humor and delight to what you do. And Ari, I owe you a lot because you helped me and got me back into realizing I need to listen to my body. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty much what you told me. Yeah. And when we met, you also, I guess the second time you were playing 
you know, Ravi Shankar. And the whole thing just brought me back to listening and being within, like yeah. going within yeah. to be yourself. And, and Janae, you exemplify that too, because you, you go within to bring your talent out to help others. So you both kind of have a lot to me in common besides being married. You, you make our world better. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Well, it's, it's true. And then your son, I think, is being brought up to be his own person too, huh? He's an entrepreneur. Yeah. No yeah, one? I mean, we're well, trying. Poor guy. Sometimes, you know, the only child gets too much attention. Yeah. Well, but he, he but also it, made the paper. Yeah. He's, he's made his the own paper business. more than I have. Really? So <laughs> he's more well-known than I Yeah. Am. Did you help him brand yeah. his business? If you can talk about that briefly. Oh, yeah. Well, when, yeah, when we first got here, you know, one of my just kind of like family dreams came true, which was that all of a sudden my um, my dad is over all the time and he was teaching Noam how to juice because my dad's amazing gardener mm. and would uh, bring over a plethora of satsumas. And they started juicing together. And Noam also really took to it. He was five mm -hmm. and he loved it and was really good at it. And uh, – and so they said, oh, let's start a juice stand. And at first it was just in our front yard. And I mean, I just put it together quickly. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, no, you'll make the signs. And he drew them. And, you know, I gave him some ideas. And then I I painted the box with the name and, mm -hmm. you know, quick, like, designed a logo and printed out labels for the quick. juice bottles. That's how good she is. <laughs> this would have taken me a week. <laughs> and, um and yeah, and and before we knew it, he was a little local success <laughs> um, because I mean I think he is also very charismatic. I think he was a, a born entertainer, and so uh, he was selling Satsuma juice, yeah, to the neighbors first, and then us y'all yeah. downtown too, right? Yeah, yeah. So at first it was uh, in our front yard, and then well, actually, actually, he asked me this really great marketing question that morning because we'd run around, we put flyers around the neighborhood that said, you know, 10 a.m., you know, come get your juice. And he and I were sitting in the front yard, you know, it's 10, 10, 15, and he was the mosquitoes like, Mom. Were coming <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and he was like, Mom, how do you get people to come? buy your stuff. And I was like, that is the number one question everyone asks me. You yeah. know? I, was like, I was like, don't worry, they'll come. So eventually, thank goodness, everyone, mm -hmm. you know, heeded the the, po the post we had left out and they they did show up. And then, yeah, next Mitzi downtown who has a, a clothing boutique, she was doing these breakfast pop-ups. Oh yeah, the consignment shop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and there would be, yeah, they were breakfast. So the juice was a perfect compliment. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, I know it was because no one was like, how do we get more people to come? And I was like, well, we probably need better location. <laughs> so I was like, let's go to a more high foot traffic area um, or, right, collaborate with another brand. And um, so that first, yeah. yeah, with that first one, I mean, he sold out of all his juice. People said, when are you doing this mm -hmm. again? So, I mean, we were just like a juicing machine, our yeah. our kitchen that whole winter. Oh, yeah. And it was also just so sweet and special, right? Because it was COVID. There weren't many yeah. things you could do. So the fact that like the three of us and right, we had all just made this huge move as a family mm -hmm. and we're kind of getting adjusted to this new life, even this new home, like the home even felt a little too spacious for us after our tiny apartment. 
And so we were just always like staying in the same room together. And, you know, and having my dad come over and, sweet, you know, yeah. put put his touch on things. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, we've had a dry spell. So the Satsumas, you told me, Yes, this is going to be there. a bad year. But next year, maybe, <laughs> there'll be an upswing. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But, but even with that, I think it's all been such a great educational experience yeah. for mm-hmm. him to, like, understand the, the impact of weather and, right, like the supply and demand and, mm-hmm. you know, just all the things that yeah. you learn from right. even a small homegrown business. Right. But, yeah, his has been one of my favorite branding projects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Easiest. Sweet. We're here. I want to thank Jason Sikora for taping us today. We're here with Jason in Raider Studios, and I, I saw you were writing some notes. If you have I any do, questions? I do have some notes. First of all, thank you guys for being here. This is fantastic. Thank you. Yes. I'm having a fun time just sitting here listening. <laughs> Our pleasure. We love this place. It's great. Well, thank you. Know, it's thank you. Absolutely. Uh, first off, the easy question, how do we find you guys online if we want to get, get some services from you? Uh, well— uh, my my website is jsqcreativeagency.com. Um, okay. And I mean, it's a lot of letters to remember, but JSQ stands for je ne sais quoi, if that helps. <laughs> As in Janae, yeah. Yeah, not exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if you just Google your name, Janae, not can, yeah, it, I it mean, all comes up. I think too, yeah, it's, it's pretty Googleable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Instagram and Facebook. And I mean— I'm a digital marketer, so any of those ways, <laughs> I, I will easy to find. You. Yeah, yeah, I will respond to any of those uh, messaging apps. And I do want to mention that Janae has um, one of her most popular services is marketing therapy. You'll help people, uh, yes. right? You, people can pay a small fee, and you give them guidance. Yes, get them on their way. Yeah, that started um, a, a few years ago. I, I had this service, and what. At first, I called it the power hour because, I don't know, I felt like that was very 2000-whatever mm. year that was when everyone was about the hustle and power hour culture. But after people would book this service, I felt like they were so, like, confident and relieved and, you know, had this whole different sense about them. And I was like, oh, this seemed more like therapy. So, <laughs> so and, and really, once I changed it to marketing therapy, it actually resonated even more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite services to give because I like see the transformation in mm-hmm. the person, and they have actionable like, insight that they can. They give them direction. Take, it's overwhelming like, right away. Yeah. yeah, if you're not skilled, it's overwhelming to know where to start. Yeah, so, yeah. And awesome. then Ari, where can people also get in touch? Instagram and Facebook? Ari D Therapy. A R I and then A R I and then D capital D. Yeah, therapy. That's right. Earlier, you were saying you're not a massage therapist. What are you really? What was that? Bio-performance therapist. (laughs) Bio means life. Okay. Performance (laughs) means get off your butt. (laughs) Or some people need to get on it and slow down. True. Uh, Yeah, there's both. Fair enough. And, um, yes, so. Yeah, the thing is, Ari's— Ari's yeah. service is just like so unique. Yeah. So it's so hard just to call him like a massage therapist yeah. or a physical therapist or whatever because his approach. So we we had to come up with something as unique as his service. Yeah. Gotcha. That's that's awesome. All right. So the big question, I think I resonated the most with moving away from home. So you mm-hmm. guys went to New York. I was LA the minute I turned 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I grew up in a a town smaller than Eunice, right? So, like, yeah, middle of nowhere. (laughs) 
Can you talk about how that changed you? Like, I think it was super important for me in, in my adventure through life to get away from my hometown and move to a big city and do something different. Right. So mm-hmm. how did that affect you? How important was that for you? How, would you recommend that for everybody, et cetera? Hmm. I, I mean, yeah, I think it's one of the. It's, it's, I know it's a big question. <laughs> yeah, it's a big question to like put into one um, one paragraph. I mean, one. Yeah, I would recommend everyone do it like everyone leave home, even if it's just like with college and like Mm -hmm. taking that moment to hopefully like move out of state or just a little further from home to, even if it's to feel a little uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think that is a, a really important part of like your formative years of learning what discomfort is and how to overcome it and especially like learning how to take care of yourself and and also yeah like navigate your own way without the mm-hmm. the coddling of your parents or mm-hmm. even like your parents connections or whatever you know your your status is um and 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 yeah i think too one of the most important parts is right like to not have this phobia of other people and places and I think, like, that's a big problem coming from small towns because you're so limited in your scope of the mm-hmm. type of people you interact with. And, and it's dangerous, right, because you, um, yeah, you develop this narrow view. And then, you know, we know yeah. where, where this narrow view can, can lead in, in a negative space. Um, so... So I, I mean, also the way I, I sometimes describe to my my path is, you know, I was I was born and raised in Eunice, but got some cultivation in the Northeast. I feel like in the Northeast is where I really got like my voice, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you found yourself. Huh? Yeah, 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 and um, and you know, one person once told us that. Like we're all like onions, like these layers of onions. So you're always every layer. Like you're still going to have like that child in you, that teenager, but you kind of just like keep adding these layers. Mm. And and then it's a beautiful thing that the, this can all be encompassed in one person. Um, but I don't know. That's a whole other <laughs> Tangent, maybe cut that out. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think that like but, that could be a whole podcast. Yeah. But I, I think New York for me in LA, moving to a place and living somewhere where I'm a minority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd imagine that's even more so. You guys both went overseas, so that's a whole different. Yeah. Get out of the U.S. and all of yeah. a sudden, that's super uncomfortable. I would imagine. Incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> it makes um, you appreciate home, though. Yeah. Oh yeah. And home could be the U.S. I mean, just yes. Appreciate what we have here. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny all of a sudden to feel like American, right? Because you uh-huh. you know you have like this Acadiana pride, but then to be overseas and kind of have this American pride is this funny new feeling. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I I think it's really important that everyone have a passport and and leave <laughs> the country like once or a few times in in their life. 
um, I, I, yeah, I, I just think it's important to, to realize that all humans everywhere basically want the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think like, that's what you start to discover when mm-hmm. you go to different places. And, um, and I think it just, mm. it's beautiful. <laughs> it's true, but you don't yeah. know that if you don't experience yeah, We all have that. very similar yeah. values, just different ways of going about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, now that makes sense. Ari, anything anything to add? Well, I already like the, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, the, you know, feel, you know, experiencing what it is to be a minority and and finding your way and adding your onions, layers of <laughs> yeah. the onion to the onion. And Did you really did that. Yeah. You had for me several it was, careers too. Yeah. For me it was one of the big things for me was playing soccer in other countries made me realize that I can do this one thing at home, but it, you have to go out and see how everybody does everything. Everybody, in my case, everybody played soccer a different way. Mm-hmm. And then when I, well, when I brought it back, I brought the food back from all my journey, which was my food was soccer. Mm. And then I could come back here and share with this community that among other things, but you know, when I went out, it was for soccer. So bringing that back. Mm-hmm. Do you so, still play soccer? Uh, of course. Monday nights, we won last night, three to two. I got the game. What? Assist. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a whole group. Like Karen a... Crow soccer uh, league indoor. Oh, cool. Yes. Yes. Wow. And I'm the second oldest. Are you? They're probably the best player. I don't know about, but I know space the best. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to use my body right now. Is soccer dangerous? Like we, yeah, absolutely. You know, your knees have probably take a it's, beating. It's dangerous, but the t- the the goal isn't to smash into mm-hmm. another player with your head. Right. But you can still get. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I I'm a bio performance therapist so I have a lot of soccer injuries Mm -hmm. and I stand there and I watch them get hurt and I'm like oh my gosh this is why you're hurt because you're absolutely crazy out here and it's Mm -hmm. Monday night at nine late (laughs) yeah (laughs) what are you doing where do you play like out in Karen Crow with the it's um, uh, the indoor facility that was an ice skating ring yeah I know where that is uh uh-huh that's a nice facility it's great Yeah. yeah yeah it's great you're an Upper Lafayette guy, too. Upper Lafayette. <laughs> yeah. You don't know about that. We'll talk later. No, I don't. Is that an echelon or like an area? It's just a great part of Lafayette. Ah, so. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like it no matter what. Well, thank you guys for being I could go on and on and uh, talk about your current adventures and uh People will save that for another podcast, come back at some point. But thank you guys I, for being here. Of I course. mean, we would love to say that even though we have such different careers and talents, I mean, we've always thought that one day we'd find a way to combine them. And so hopefully that's part of this Lafayette chapter where we feel like one of the great things about Lafayette is you feel like you kind of have the space to do things, Mm -hmm. like physical space, but also just more headspace because it's not such a hectic place. The creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe now that we're finally like getting rooted, we will figure out how we combine my lifestyle branding with your athletic wellness. Bio-performance. Uh-huh. I thought she was going to say body. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't go there. 
that just keeping goes it professional. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, thank you both, uh, Janae Nakan and Ari Dolikowski. Good one. Know. You got it. I, I got it. I know. I want to thank you both for sharing your story and also indulging me. I just, I love you both. And we same. It just, I know. I'm just so glad we got to know each other, but it's just funny how life works. Sure is. You know, it's just funny how it we is. meet people. Yeah. And um, I think we'll both be, you know, you'll, you'll both be in the news more. It's just amazing to me. You moved here and then you've been in the paper a few times. So just keep it up, whatever you're doing. <laughs> and Jason Secor, thank you so much for taping the show and making me sound a lot better than I ever could if I was doing this by myself. Oh. I want to thank Chris Rader and Rader Solutions. To our listeners, thank you for your loyal support. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can also visit discoverlafayette.net where you can hear this interview and over 350 others. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. Mm-hmm.